This episode of the Upland Nomads podcast is brought to you by Kuga Vest. Kuga Vest is a lightweight and durable dog vest made of 1,000 denier cordura fabric. It is meant to protect the chest, back, side, and underbelly of your dogs from things such as briars, fencing, stubble, and any other type of vegetation or hazards you can run into in the field. Kuga Vest, it's serious protection for the active canine. Check them out at kugavest.com. That is C-U-G-A vest.com. This episode is also brought to you by Fit and Fetch Outdoors. Fit and Fetch Outdoors is a CBD soft shoe supplement for your dogs. This shoe has been life-changing for animals all over the United States. They're helping dogs sleep better, improving their appetites, and most importantly, easing the pain, which we all know is the most important thing when it comes to our hunting companions. I highly suggest you check them out. I use them on my own dog, and she does great on them. It releases her anxiety and everything. Check them out on their website, fitandfetchoutdoors.com. And do not forget, when you check out, to enter our code UPLAND10. You are now listening to the Upland Nomads Podcast. Sit back and join us on our adventure. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Upland Nomads podcast. I'm Mike and I'm joined here again by Wyatt. I just want to start off by uh, thanking everybody for sticking with us and listening to the podcast and following us on Instagram, giving us likes, shooting us messages. It truly means a lot to the both of us. Today we got a very special guest. I want to introduce to you Edgar Castillo, also known as Hunt Birds on Instagram. So Edgar, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, first of all, guys, I appreciate you guys having me on the on your uh, podcast. Uh, I've listened to a couple of episodes, some of the other bird hunters that we all kind of know within social media. So I appreciate you guys having me on here and hopefully people can uh, get a little bit of info behind my story as well as, you know, if anyone's got any questions. But uh, uh, my name is Edgar Castillo. Um, I think most people know I go by Humbirds on Instagram. I'm located in Kansas City metro area, born in Central America been a bird hunter ever since I was about 10 or 11 years old and just been going at it pretty hard, especially probably the last 10 years and kind of dabble into riding and that's kind of going pretty good as well. And uh, that's pretty much it. So when did you, you're born in Central America, when did you come to America? Uh, when I was little, uh, I was like a year and a half or two. And then we went back because my parents wanted my sister to be born in Guatemala. And so we returned, she was born, and then later on we came back. And then we've gone back and forth throughout my my youth. Does all your family live in the U.S. now? Or uh, no, actually, uh, quite, a, quite a bit of them still live back home in Wate. So uh, there, there's a few of us here that are here in the U.S. Nice. So when you, you first all... came, did you, uh, did you first move into Kansas as well? Uh, no, we went to uh, just like uh, all... At the time, a lot of the immigrants put in Miami, New York, Chicago, L.A. Uh, we went to L.A. My dad said, no way. And <laughs> literally, I think I think my grandfather um, threw a dart and it landed in the middle of the of the country. And we ended up because there, there were we had no ties here in Kansas. We just ended up here in Kansas City metro area. So you just ended up in God's country. Yep. So you go back and forth like often or? Yep. Yeah. We go back and visit family and uh, they come up here quite a bit. So uh, there's still a, a, a deep connection and obvious, um, you know, always visiting family and, and whatnot. Did COVID affect anything like that with your travel plans? And um, I mean, as far as my family back home, it was a lot more restricted uh, really? just because it's, where you know the different countries were a little bit more stricter but uh, as far as traveling at least on our end it didn't affect us a whole lot so so i think we've all read a few of your pieces and most people have want to get into your writing background what did you get the itch to start writing uh well i think it was it's just it's always been there i mean i don't know about you guys uh, i mean i'm a little bit older than you uh, but for me it was always um you know when i was a little kid flipping through Phil and stream and, and outdoor life and other various outdoor magazines. I was just thought to myself, man, it'd be kind of cool to have something written in a magazine or something that I wrote. And 
I just never thought anything of it. And then about five years ago, uh, I wrote a small piece and then I started um, getting contacted and it just kind of grew from there. Uh, basically, it was Project Upland, AJ DeRosa is the one that kind of reached out to me and kind of helped me start my my writing career, I guess, if, if that's what you want to call it. Well, that's really cool. So what's it like writing for Project Upland? Uh, it's been really good. I'm very fortunate. They've opened a lot of doors for me. I've been able to travel alongside with them on some projects and some trips. I said, it's opened a lot of doors. Uh, they did a, they came out and uh, filmed me and my, and my buddies. And so hopefully uh, I'm not sure when I, that's going to come out. I know during the time that they were filming us, they were, they had filmed like video or, you know, short films. So I'm not sure where we're going to be at. Uh, when it's being released, but uh, just opportunities like such as that, as well as, you know, connecting me with other uh, publications and uh, opportunities to write. They've been really great to, to work with. Nice. So you've obviously written quite a bit of pieces, right? Or a lot of articles we can say. Do you have any favorites? Um, you know, I, right now, my favorites would be the historical pieces. If you don't know what I'm talking about, I just, I started three years ago. Um, I wrote my first one was for Endless Migration, which is the waterfowl component to Project Upland. And it was on um, uh, the canvasback duck. And so anyway, doing my research, I started coming into a lot of these little historical facts and tidbits that I found interesting and fascinating. And then there was a story within the story. And then that just kind of started me on the path of researching all these other historical pieces that have an Upland connection, but like Teddy Roosevelt. Everyone knows he was a big game hunter, but he was a very avid wing shooter and bird hunter. Mark Twain, you know, those historical components and historical figures, but with an upland component. I've been really having fun writing those, doing all the research on those, whether it's a figure or just maybe it's a species. I've done a couple of uh, projects on those, but I, I would say right now, those types of stories uh, and articles are my favorite right now. So I think it would qualify under a historical one. I read it in Field Ethos, though. You're one on the prairie chicken. Yeah, yep, yeah. That was uh, another one that I did like two or three years ago. I had come across some historical fact on how many prairie chickens were shipped out to the East Coast, you know, Chicago, New York at the big restaurants. Everyone knew about the buffalo uh, and even the passenger pigeon, but I, I never knew that prairie chickens uh, had been shot to almost – almost on the brink of extinction extinction and then that's what kind of led me to write that piece for field ethos yeah in your article you talked about just how crazy of numbers there were in some of the fields and or number just hired hunters basically to go and shoot these prairie chickens i didn't realize there was that many prairie chickens that once in the united states some of the stuff that i came across uh, there was witnesses i talked to some people that had been told stories of their grandfather grandfathers that the sky park and that's how vast the numbers were yes i've never actually gotten a taste prairie chicken do you have you tried it prairie chicken oh yeah yep. it's it's a dark meat and it's just like anything it's just how you cook it or well, on the top oh, was... of your articles too i mean i read one of yours the it was called hunting the great ghost of the wyoming sage so yeah. i just had a question how is it hunting sage grouse out there it's uh it's fun you know for me uh the adventure and just being out there with my friends and just experiencing you know the uh a new landscape and then just kind of taking it in but uh you know was it hard i mean you know when you hunt any kind of new bird there's always going to be difficulties and things that you've got to learn on the way you know if you've got local intel it helps but uh overall i mean it was i mean i've been doing it for three years now uh, so obviously I enjoy it that much to go back every year to do it. But uh, I, I say, if you have a chance to do it, get a group of friends together and, and make it happen. Say it's on the bucket list. It's just a jaunt to somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, you but, know, it, it's a lot of these trips, it's the same thing. You know, I never thought that I'd be doing them, but they're actually not that hard. And like I said, if you've got a good group of, of buddies, some good friends, and it just makes things easier. You know, for me, everything or our group is cost. You know, we camp and we all carpool in one vehicle and, you know, it, that offsets everything. And um, it, it really isn't too bad uh, when, once you figure in um, your, lot, uh, you know, out-of-state license 
and driving there is is what the big the big logistical issue yeah and, and then driving around scouting places just yeah i say we have our like core four that we well we camp too which is, makes it easy we just gotta remember just not to stop at the gas station and pick up food there and just make the food that we have yeah <laughs> and that would save on some of our costs when you're going out to yeah. a new place do you always make it a habit to uh, check your bird's crop to kind of see what they're eating and everything to kind of help you find them, I guess? Yeah, we do. I mean, I think, uh, I think that's just a good thing to do as a bird hunter, you know, um, that way it kind of helps you figure out where they're, where they were at, where they are at, or the, where they, where they are or where they were just using that info and that Intel to determine, you know, what your next step is. Cause I, I, I think it was one of the articles I wrote. I, there was a time we were hunting bobs a couple of years ago and opened the crop. You know, it was about the second or third bird and it had Milo and there was no Milo around, not within our distance, you know. And then we, you know, got on Onyx and we ended up driving around and not too far away was Milo. And, and then we ended up hunting it and uh, ended up getting into several coveys as well as pheasants. And we never would have found that. We, we, would ne- we never would have ventured a little bit farther just because we knew that there, there had been miles somewhere you know i think i've cut a crop open like a couple times but it's usually at the end of a hunt to see what they're eating on and i guess up here it's usually corn yeah. in the corn fields but it's like you know that's probably a good idea going somewhere new now i because i read that article that you talked about and i'm like i think i'm gonna have to start doing that going to new places yeah so we did that uh not this past season but the year before when we we're out down in southwest north dakota and with sunflowers and we hunted sun right next we just kind of walked fence lines near sunflower fields and we we hammered our pheasants i think it's not just a it's a key thing i don't think a lot of people actually think about doing it was a good tip for people out there and now that onyx lets you kind of see crop data too it helps with your scouting a little bit oh yeah it's a great resource and they, it seems like they keep on adding features so yeah it, it, yeah. it's a good thing to have for sure kind of get into your hunting background when did you start hunting um probably about 10 or 11 i think mo- a lot of the people kind of know the story uh my dad you know when we came here my dad was not a hunter at all it was just not done where we're from and so he literally walked over to our neighbors asked Tom what he was doing Tom was getting ready for a duck hunt and a week later my dad was out sitting in a boat um, duck hunting and that just kind of catapulted my dad's hunting career you know I guess and then you know as a as a little boy you know following the dad's footsteps you know like most boys most sons want to do I started wanting to tag along and then it just kind of grew from there my teenage years kind of gave other things cars and friends and girls and different order you know and and so hunting kind of went on the wayside but then college and then in the marines my can't when i my the first year i came back i remember my dad i had just returned from some training and my dad uh, wanted to go on because it was during hunting season and and then that i remember going out i shot my pheasant my first pheasant and then from that point on it's when it just that ember just lit and a fire started burning for for me as far as upland hunting and it's just gotten worse and worse every year so <laughs> not a bad thing to happen uh, so now you talked about how you got that fire burning underneath you most people know this a, a big component of hunting upland game is having a canine so do you have a dog i uh, no, i do not how's that like um, hunting without one challenging uh it can i mean i i hunt uh, i get a lot of people asking me um uh, if i hunt solo or alone and I do. There's many times that I go out by myself, and uh, I, and I'm not even a, a good bird hunter. I, I'm the first one to admit that. I I tend to be lucky or kind of know what I'm doing, so I kind of know what to look for, or where they're at, and I come home with prairie chickens, and that's a hard bird to find, no matter what state you're in. And I come home and shoot, you know, I shoot bobs and blues and pheasant, um, but I did grow up with Brittany, we had a lab as well. Uh, and then my friends got, uh, you know, a variety of, of dogs, GSPs and Drots and French Brittany's. So I hunt behind a, a mix of dogs. It's always nice. So kind of 
piggybacking off that because you talk about your friend group or and going places where have you all been to hunt birds or i guess i've listened to a few podcasts where haven't you been um we um most of us were here in the kansas city metro area uh a couple of them live on the on the missouri side in the on the kansas city metro missouri side but we've hunt missouri kansas nebraska I mean, Colorado, Arizona. Uh, so a little bit of everywhere. I mean, we're, if someone comes up with an idea and it's doable, we'll, we'll, we'll probably end up doing it. Or we, we've got, everyone's got their roles. We've got someone that plans logistics and someone we've, someone tra- uh, does all the travel plans and driving and then, you know, food and cooking. So we, we've got a pretty good, uh, pretty good setup. Well, geez, you guys are, you guys are really, got it all planned out michael that's usually shoot michael a text be like well hey do you want to go here this weekend and maybe camp <laughs> we don't look at the weather or we, we do that too we, we we do that too we'll sometimes get a text friday night or thursday and say hey uh we're heading to such and such place meet here at four in the morning and we're we're off uh but a week ago, you know, we're sitting around talking and, and already making plans as far as where we're going to go this fall and and uh, what we're going to hunt and who we know up there and starting to get intel, local intel and info as far as, you know, what birds are seeing and, uh, you know, where we're going to be camping at. Where, like, what's your favorite place that you have been to hunt? I don't know. I really liked them all. But I, I really enjoyed Colorado last year. Uh, and I think it was more along the lines of uh, new friendships that we made uh, because a lot of all these places that we've gone, it's all Instagram, social media based invites saying, hey, why don't you guys come on out and, and we hunt together. And um, so Colorado was the same way, but uh, I really enjoyed the diverse landscape. I mean, we hunt sage grouse. They have a two day sage grouse season. So we went specific, specifically for that, but then we were chasing sharp tails in one type of habitat and then next thing you know we were at eight nine thousand feet chasing duskies or 12 13 thousand feet shooting ptarmigan and then the next day we were shooting snipe you know in the stream system you know back down at uh, sea level it was a good mix of, of, of things to do and, and and a good mix of birds that's quite the variety there too so when you go out camping how do you pick your camp spots do you look for a spot that's close to all your hunting areas or do you look for spots that's like, I think this would be a cool spot to camp? All the above. You know, uh, we tried it. Like I said, uh, we, we all, myself and my buddy Dan, we're all the logistical information gathering. Part of that consists of where we're going to be camping at and how close is in relation to what are we going to be hunting? You know, is it centrally located? Uh, and, you know, sometimes we're camping and we got to drive an hour and a half morning. That's just part of the deal. Uh, but uh, if we have somewhere that'll put us into birds relatively better, or at least one of the species, but, and then sometimes it's just, you know, uh, we hunt a lot, you know, we hunt public land. So we're camping on BLM or, or pu- some kind of public access, uh, whether it's state or federal land. So most of the places that we've gone to, have been pretty darn good you know just stepping outside your tent door and your hunt pretty much that's nice usually i try to look for the place that got a public access and a public bathroom so i can don't have to use the woods glamping that way but in my tent so what do you guys do like do you guys travel much and hunt weekends when it's like gets to be cold outside oh yeah i mean it weather doesn't sway us from anything i mean we're we hunt from September 1st through as late, well, here in Kansas, January, we have a long season. And then whatever states that are open past that, we, we don't get turned away by too many things. I mean, we slept in the back of a truck and then got, got up in the morning and go shoot birds and then drive back, drive six hours at some place, shoot a couple birds or, and then drive right back. I mean, that's, it's just kind of the, the norm. It's not unusual for us to do that. So it's all, te- you guys all do camp, like tent camping, or do you do a full camper sometimes or? Both. Uh, this last, just a couple of months ago in February, uh, when I went down to Arizona, 
I've been going there for three years. This time we took a camper and, and we camp. It was, there was no hookups. Uh, so we, we had to bring everything with us. Uh, but then we've also, you know, we can, uh, we tend to camp a lot in a, uh, a giant uh, outfitters tent. It sleeps six, seven guys as well as small tents. So, yeah. I say, how was Arizona? I've heard a lot of good things about Arizona. It was good. Um, again, another one of those places that I think it's very doable as long as you've got a good group to kind of offset the cost. It, it, you know, all these trips, I don't think I've spent no more than four or $500, you know, and a lot, most of that is gas, you know, yeah. uh, Arizona has a out of state daily permit or tag. So you're looking yeah. at, you know, 20 some dollars a day, you know, it, it helps if you can get with some, knowledge uh but gambles are everywhere not too hard to find uh but if you want to get into merns or even scalies depends on who you talk to scalies are pretty much everywhere too but you know if you're wanting to chase all three uh i'd suggest you know reach out to someone down there so you can get some some um, some info uh as far as like where to go or some tips on how to hunt or where to hunt what to look for how long does their season last down there um i've always the last three years i've been going it's um i've always gone at the very end of the season so i think it's february first week or two of february so it's nice at least two weeks longer than here in kansas nice i don't know michael that might be like a 24 hour some drive for us from up here <laughs> a little bit longer that because from here kansas city was 18 or 19 so yeah <laughs> Yeah, we we and we went all the way to the border. Yeah, because uh, from I've been to Kansas City for baseball, and that was a fourteen-hour drive. So, yeah, it could be over a day's worth of driving, or yeah. over twenty-four hours driving. We'll have to. <laughs> you take one vehicle then, Edgar, when you guys go, or it's one vehicle. Yeah, yeah usually it's a big truck, uh, an F two fifty. That way, all the dogs are you know, thrown in the back in, the, in their dog kennels and crates. And then it's four or five guys in a big crew cab truck with plenty of room. And then we have either a camper like in Arizona, or we, we have a 12, 14 foot trailer uh, that we throw in, you know, we throw all our, all our gear, our tents and, and uh, camping equipment. So. I was say that's a, that's a heck of a hike though. Even with five, four or five guys, <laughs> you'd be like, yep. I- I sat next to you for a while now. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> uh, but you can't beat the stories though when you're just sitting in the vehicle driving someplace, and especially after the hunt, the hunting trip's done. Sad to always go, but it's always fun. The memories you take with you, and if you were successful or not. Yeah, uh, you know it's it's always like that. When we left Arizona, well, we pretty much drew straight down there. Uh, but uh, you know, the whole way home, we talked about the hunt. You know, the week that we were down there, the funny things that happened to us and and just, you know, kind of retelling the stories and sharing the memories. I mean, that's what's that's what it's all about. Hey, guys, just thought we could take a quick break here to let you know that this episode of the Upland Nomads podcast is also brought to you by Jeb's Choke Tubes and Mossy Oak Outdoor Dog. I highly suggest that you go check them out. Now, let's get back to it. Kind of getting into what you do I can say a lot of your posts, you're uh, posting a lot of guns, a lot of nice looking guns at the Olathe gun shop. How long have you worked there? Uh, about a year, just right after I retired, uh, they offered me a position. And so I work one or two days a week, not a whole lot during hunting season. I mean, like I've only been there a year, but uh, uh, it's been fun. I'm learning a lot and they've got uh, a lot of nice shotguns a lot of nice inventory that comes in so learning a lot nice i'm gonna say any particular shotguns that you come in that's like oh geez <laughs> oh there's there's a lot of side-by-sides top is kind of known for the inventory it has um they did a field and stream story on it uh in december uh, a full feature uh so without I mean, I can tell you there's a lot of side-by-sides, but without you stepping, uh, everyone that stops by because they've either heard about it or, you know, people just kind of Google, hey, what's a local gun shop? People stop by uh, and then they walk in. You just don't see these kind of shops around anymore. They're, you know, they've gone kind of by the wayside. It's a mom and pop 
gun shop that's been around for 60, 70, 80 years, something like that. And so it's not your big box store style uh, store. You know, it's uh, they sell guns and that's pretty much, you know, a few odds and ends here and there accessories. But it, it, it's it's an old time gun shop is what it is. So is it mostly shotguns there and rifles, pistols? It's got everything. It's known for its shotguns. Um, it's side-by-side collection. We've got a huge over-under section. And then we've got a, a very diverse uh, selection of semis and pumps. Uh, and this is used and brand new. And then we've got, you know, pistol revolvers, old revolvers, or what they like, antique guns. And then as well as, you know, bolt action, lever action, and then, you know, a ton of uh, black rifle style firearms. So sweet. No, no black guns, no ARs in that there. Yep. Yep. I mean, when I say the black rifles, yeah, that, that's what okay. I'm, I'm referring okay. to. So, so yeah, AR, you know, uh, a variety of AR platform style rifles and tactical say we, style. I'd say we do have a gun shop here in Grand Forks. I haven't actually been ever been to it, but I think it's more, I don't know, Michael, if you've been there, I don't know if it's more of a kind of like a tactical shop. I say I've looked at their online store and they usually don't have a whole lot in stock but as far as shotgun wise. That's not looking tactical. So but. do you have any, uh, I know we had a previous guest on that talked about, was it quail hunting with black powder shotguns? Do you have any of those in there? Um, no, we don't that I know of and I don't know if we've ever had any again I'm only in there a day or so a week so if something does come in it could be gone by the time like you know a week will go or a 10 to 7 to 10 days will go by and I would never know but it's, while I've been there I don't recall ever seeing one come in or even hearing of one being sold but a buddy of mine is looking for one because he wants to I don't want to give away too much but he's wanting to recreate historical hunt and he's been on the lookout for a, a black powder style shotgun nice. i don't know if i i don't know if i could ever do that i think it'd be yeah i feel like we'd, i think it'd weigh a ton too <laughs> so kind of going off uh specific guns what's kind of your what's the i don't know if you can talk about it or not but what's the most expensive gun you ever had like in the shop that you've seen well while i've been there uh, and i'll just say shotgun it, it's a French gun, and I, I think I'm I'm gonna butcher the way you pronounce. I think it's Chapius, C H A P U I S or I U S. I, I believe Beretta bought them for Benelli, and we were shipped four or five of them with the Beretta line, and so we I I, I worked to because I showed a gentleman that came in looking for a new uh, new gun. I showed him one of them, but. We were sent a 12, 16, 20, and the 28. Uh, we've only got the 20 and the 28 left. But those, each of those run about, you know, anywhere from six to close to 10 grand. Some of the other shotguns in that shotgun side-by-side collection are up around that much. I don't know if we've had anything more than, as far as shotguns, uh, more expensive, I, I couldn't tell you. I'm sure they probably have, but... That's I know one guy we had on the show wanted a Caesar Greeny. Oh yeah, said, I've never actually looked into them. Like I know I probably can't afford it anyway. <laughs> yeah, we we've got a couple of those. I mean, we we like I said we've got a pretty good selection. I mean, if you're ever in Kansas City again for for baseball or, or if you're passing through, you got to stop by just for a little bit at the gun shop just to see kind of what we have uh, and what the shop offers. I say I won't be passing through playing baseball. My college baseball days are done. Oh, okay. I'm washed up now. I'm just a golfer now. <laughs> uh, golfer and then uh, bird hunter on the side. So, uh, and you've listened to a few of our podcasts. We kind of towards the end of our show, we have the questions for our guests to get to know our guests just a little bit better and their favorites, their likes, and that. So getting into question one, what's your favorite upland bird to hunt? Man, that's, for me, it's just kind of, it used to be the pheasant and it easily was replaced by the bobwhite quail. And then, you know, now it's pretty much whatever new bird that I'm hunt, to be honest, you know, 
but if I if you're gonna make me choose one, I would I would have to say the quail. The quail's kind of general, so uh, whether it's gambles or scale or merns, uh, it seems to be a popular one among quite a few guests we've had on. So yeah, it's, it's not one we have around here. We have a uh, Hungarian partridge, and that's about as close to, to quails we can get. But and I've heard that huns are really fun to hunt, and hopefully I'll be getting into those this october so my 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 answer may change but a woodcock is a close second that's an also that's been like our top one that we keep getting the huns are i think they're my favorite to hunt they're not one that just like usually i'm going out hunting sharpies or pheasants and they kind of have it inhabit both uh types of habitat that they're both in so sometimes they're next to a grain like a grain field or and sometimes they're like near the cattails, so yeah, them kind of both ways. Never certainly like target them unless we got a limit of pheasants or something like that. But they're just kind of like all those birds. It's like, oh crap, Hans right there. <laughs> but uh, kind of going off that, what uh, birds haven't? What upland birds haven't you gotten a chance to hunt? Uh, Hans, sharp tails. Well, we hunted sharp tails in Colorado. We just never. That was the only species. We did not get into. We got five out of six, and sharp tails was the one. So I'd say huns. I've never hunted rough grouse, chucker, and then um, California slash valley quail, and then mount quail. Uh, but I'll be doing that this this fall up in um, Idaho and Mont Washington. Um, They're like a quail slam, then like if I if I shoot the California slash valley quail and the mountain quail, I'll have them all. That'll be sweet. So you've shot pretty much every type of grouse then too, besides uh, the sharp tail uh, and the rough. Prairie chicken, dusky. I would have to go after um, spruce. Spruce, yeah. And it, it was that we're looking into going to Montana, and again, that's uh, it's. I think there's like six or seven species, so I'm sure. Yeah. Hopefully, a, I get to check off a couple there. So. Yeah, they have they have pretty much all those grouse. Then they got Huns, sharpies, pheasants, sage grouse. I think they pretty much got it all there. Yeah. But you have to go to drive different parts of Montana, I think. To, I think Eastern side is pretty good with uh, pheasants and Yeah, therapies. I think we've been doing research the Eastern side, uh, up and down the Eastern side. So uh, I believe it's going to be a couple hours to get access to all of them, So which uh, it's pretty doable. Yeah. I say we're, tra- we're planning on heading out there too, beginning, because their season opens up so much earlier than everybody else. So yeah. trying our hand at... Uh, Sherpines of Huns in eastern Montana right away in the season before it opens up here in North Dakota. Yeah, so I'm going to go a little bit off topic here. You talked about snipe hunting earlier. So we had somebody else talk about that before, so I started doing research and everything. And we do have those in North Dakota. So what's kind of like the biggest thing when you go snipe hunting? Like what's so attractive about it to you? We got into snipe hunting by accident. About six, seven years ago, we were in Cheyenne Bottoms, which is Central Kansas, it's a huge, it's the, if you're a waterfowl hunter, probably heard of Cheyenne Bottoms. It's, that's where everyone goes to go duck hunt. Well, it's also, uh, it holds a lot of pheasant and it holds a ton of snipe. And we got into them. I was the only one that knew what they were as soon as they flush. And I shot my first snipe and it was just, it was like a, like opening day dove shoot, you know, because it really wasn't a hunt. It was just a snipe shoot. They were just flushing everywhere and we were laughing. It was loud. You know, it was very uh, a social shooting event. For me, snipe, is, it, they're hard. To, they're already hard to hit anyway, just because they're so sporadic and acrobatic, you know, when they're flying. And then, but they're also easy in the sense that if you miss one and you pay attention, you watch where it goes, you'll be able to hunt, you know, market and then either walk up to it and reflush it or see where it lands behind you. And, you know, as you're coming back, more than likely that bird's still going to be there for the most part. You know, it's fun. It's fast. And there's a lot of shooting and it could be, it could be uh, really exciting uh, real quick. Nice. I know I've been thinking of going out like a couple weekends or even more than that this fall and just trying to find some around the area where I'm from here. I don't know. Just kind of interests me, so I just kind of want to know. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I said, um, we we come across them here locally. You know, 
actually we find them a lot in places that we never i mean we see cattails you know we think of pheasants automatically um and then we we you know we'll, we'll flush a couple of roosters or hens and then all of a sudden you know that telltale snipe little peep and we all know that it's snipe and you know you just and sometimes we just find them in these unusual places but then but when we're focusing on them we're usually in ankle deep water you know uh, it can get wet and muddy and sloppy uh, you know cow pastures are really good i've shot them uh, while uh, dove hunting after a good hard rain walking the sunflower fields flushing snipe uh, but yeah as long as you can find a habitat and you know talk to your local biologist your state biologist and, and probably your waterfowlers you know if they're especially in the marshes they're probably seeing snipe and they're probably just incidental birds and they either don't care about them or they don't know what they are but that'd be a good that'd be a good source to kind of check into to see if you can find some good places to get into a snipe hunt i feel like we might have you have might have some decent spots up by you michael with all the pot, prairie pothole yeah that you have out there yeah and i actually do know quite a bit of waterfowl hunters up where i work so maybe i'll have to start talking to those guys yeah i mean like i said we when in colorado we were um after a day we i think we were sharp tail or sage grouse hunting but anyway we went back to camp there were some public access streams you know we automatically thought fly fishing so uh got the fly rods out my buddy dan's boy um caught a trout or two but we kept on hearing snipe flushing and so what do we do we switched out you know fly rods to shotguns and i bet you we flushed one or two hundred snipe and it just turned into a a chase for a ton of birds along these streams and, and the banks all right so going to question two we know you don't have a dog, but what's your favorite dog breed slash favorite dog breed that you hunt with? I got to be careful because the guys that I hunt with, it's a mixture of dogs. And if I say one more than uh, one over the other one, I'm going to get a, I'm going to get a nasty text or a phone call. But uh, <laughs> um, my buddies, they've got some great GSPs, uh, Drots, Britneys, French Britneys. I would say it would have to be the Drots and the GS and the GSP. I, I would say those two, just because our group hunts all the time together, and those are the two main dogs that we're hunting behind, and they work so well with each other. They complement each other. Is there like two of them, or quite a few of them, or? Um, yeah, um, anywhere from two to five dogs on the ground, just kind of depend nice. on you know what we're hunting or where we're so. Going with those big, some of the big tracks of land, how many dogs do you run at one time? It's interesting that you say that because when we were in Arizona and even, so here in Kansas, I mean, there's some tracks that we hunt that are big. Uh, yeah. We don't have the BLM tracks or the large pub. I mean, there's some tracks that are, you know, thousands and thousands upon thousands of acres. And then we've got Cimarron that's 104,000. We tend to run all the dogs all the time, you know, uh, very unless the only time that they're maybe one or two will be placed back you know um it's because they're hurt or something like that but even in arizona um they were running them up all day and they just maybe just because of the way we hunt the conditioned a little bit better and they're used to hunting hard so just, yeah it just kind of depends on what we're doing and what we're after and you know the weather the weather's going to be the biggest factor as far as the heat I say, so you have a dog usually working in front of you sometimes, or yeah, with that many dogs, they're they're, they're kind of mid ranging dogs. Like I said, so uh, uh, if it's four or five of us, we've got the dogs are out in front of us, quartering back and forth, you know, and they're they're pretty pretty experienced, so they kind of already you know they already know once they start hunting, uh, especially if we're hunting whether it's a large CRP field or a grain field or thick cover they they know they know how to work it and what to look you know what what to look for i'll say we're still figuring that out with mine this year was his first full season so he was uh he figured he picked up pretty quick but it's always uh fun to see that light turn on like oh this is what i'm yeah. supposed to do but, yeah this was uh it was my dog's first season as well and she was pretty young and not very big and there's even times where you could tell if we we're walking through uh, thick cattails or something she got tired so she'd end up just hunting behind behind me 
oh, that just meant that she was walking everything I've already kind of trampled over. She's like, I'll yeah. wait till you shoot something and then I'll try to find it. So GSPs, they're just uh, keep saying it all gas, no brakes. First year, I'll be like, okay, we got, would try to let them go, but it's like, okay, you're like way the heck out there. There goes the rooster. There goes the rooster. Okay. Uh, so going on to question three, we have for you. What's your best hunting memory? Man, again, I don't know. That's hard. You know, they, they're all great. I just, I like hunting with my friends, my best friends. We got that core group of four or five of us. And, you know, we laugh a lot. Pictures within the group. And, you know, when we miss uh, or when we shoot a bird, we, it's, we're, we're all, we're all involved in that. You know, and, and it, you know, uh, if my buddy shoots a bird, I, it's in, and it's his first sage grouse or first bird, whatever, we're all sitting there uh, experiencing it as well. So, you know, for me, it's just being with my buddies, watching the dogs. Um, but if I, I just can't choose one one specific memory, just because there there's 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 great memories and every that we've gone to, as well as here here at home. Yeah, I could agree, no. I could agree with that one there. The whole favorite memory is the process of making memories with your friends yeah any uh funny camping memories that you guys have had like you forgot something that really should have been packed or... oh um we, we've gotten stuck quite a few times and uh funny things that just happened to us you know i'm always tripping you know and, and not and there are things not even there i just kind of trip it i just have a thin air this kind of happens, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're a good, good group of guys and there's always something that's, that's funny. You know, someone's falling asleep when they shouldn't be in the death line and waking up tied to a chair, just stuff like that. It is a lot of good memories. <laughs> we we rise always, each other quite a bit. So. So you always see those duck buying videos where like one guy's like falling asleep and they start unloading the shotguns. Had nothing, yeah. just a startle the guy. So going on to question four, what's your favorite place that you guys have traveled to, Hunter? Just you yourself? I I, I would probably say Wyoming. Uh, the first time we went there, and I think just because it was our first trip, I never thought that I was going to be in Wyoming hunting sage grouse. And then when we got there, I thought to myself, you know, it wasn't as hard um, as I thought it was, and I was with my best friends and uh, the trip was, you know, a week long trip of, of hanging out and telling stories and eating good food. Yeah. I would say Wyoming or, or the first time that we went to Wyoming as a group. Sweet. So like going off with that question, um, when you guys are planning your hunts, like your out of state hunts, like you got into Arizona, you said Wyoming, Colorado, how long are you guys going like you're taking a week at a time or a couple yeah, of weeks? I mean, um, I, I'd say right now it's probably on an average about a week. You know, we figured, and like I said, the, the, the group, the type of people that we are, Wyoming is a good example, and even Colorado. I mean, we're, we're leaving, you know, whatever time here in Kansas City, you know, two, three in the afternoon. We're driving all night and uh, arriving at Wyoming at three in the morning, and we just put cots out, out in, the, in the open air out in the open air, crawling in our bags and waking up in the sun and then grabbing shotguns and we're hunting or driving all night, getting there at, you know, zero six thirty, and putting vests on and hunting. And then we don't sleep until that night. So hey, we try to figure up our trips and we try to get the most out of our time. And it's usually there a week. Uh, we, we just don't want to waste a whole lot of time. No, we can sleep later. Uh, yeah. So, what's the, What's the longest you you've with... ever been camping on a hunting trip? A week for oh, for hunting. Week, yeah. yeah, a week. Yeah. yeah. Is that including like your drive time? Um, it just kind of depends. I mean, here in Arizona, we were gone. Uh, it was a day of travel there and back. Um, yep. And then we so we had a day on the front end, day on the back travel, and then yeah, we hunted six days. There were sometimes we just. You know, we drove around, uh, even in Wyoming or Colorado, Arizona. We just, you know, there was one day we just kind of took our time to scout and appreciate where we were at and, and take in local views. You know, sometimes it was, it, and it didn't involve stopping and just looking at out at the mountains or, you know, 
there in Arizona, just as we were driving around, just looking across the desert. Yeah, that's always a yeah. Enjoy the enjoy some of the views that you go to because some of them are pretty good. Yeah, where you find yourself at, go back a ways. So going on to question five now, what are you looking forward to the most in the upcoming 2022 season? Uh, I would say my Montana trip. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I am excited about the Montana trip with the guys, uh, but I'm I'm looking forward to going to uh, Idaho and Washington to meet up with the, a friend of mine. Um, as, as a lot of these guys I meet on Instagram, you know, a lot of people would say that's kind of weird, but I, I mean, you guys probably know the Upland community is pretty open, pretty yep. pretty friendly, yep. you yep. know, pretty friendly. And so, I mean, that's how we met my my Marine buddy down in Arizona. Uh, as well as the guys uh, in Colorado. But uh, uh, I've been following Richie Herod. Uh, he's Herod Outdoors. Uh, he's got a, a TV show up in the Pacific Northwest. But we've been communicating for several years now. You know, he, he's a writer. And uh, just a couple months ago, he said, Edgar, you know, why don't you, why don't you come on up and uh, you, you can stay with me and we'll, we'll try to get, get you on some birds. And so the plan is for me to fly into Idaho, shoot some chucker, maybe some hunts, and then uh, jump in with him. And we drive over to where he's at in Washington and get after some valley quail and whatever else, whatever other birds are, are, are around where he's at. And uh, so I'm looking forward to meeting, meeting him in person, you know, other than just talking to him on and and hunting a, a different region of the country after some new birds i think that's going to be pretty exciting and then maybe alaska too uh, i'm trying to squeeze that in what would you hunt in alaska or um ptarmigan and then uh, a couple two i think sharp tail grouse and then rough grouse or spruce grouse all right so going on to question six what's the shotgun you're shooting now and like what's the shotgun that's on your wish list uh, well, I'm shooting a lot. I think most people know that I, I hunt uh, and shoot with the Ruger Red Label uh, 12 gauge. My dad, it was my dad's first over under and he passed it on to me probably almost 10 years ago now. It's heavy, uh, but I shoot everything with it, whether it's woodcock, dove, ducks, pheasant, whatever. 98% of the time, that's what I'm shooting. The, my gun, my wish list gun I just got for December uh, for Christmas from my wife, she bought me a CZ 628, 28 gauge, little pump. And um, I took it down to Arizona and I love it. That's awesome. Do you have a hard time finding ammo for a 28 gauge? No. Um, everyone that I've talked to, even all, all of last year, every, whether Washington, Oregon, the East Coast, everywhere I talked to, everyone I talked to said there was ample enough. 28 gauge they was everywhere uh even out here in kansas you stop at a gas station they had 28 gauge will that be uh the same this fall i i don't know i i, I stocked up on ammo i bought you know i've got two cases so i should have plenty to last me but uh yeah I, i'm not i'm not finding any difficulty you know finding any any loads anywhere Around, at least around here nice We're, we gotta get those gas stations that you got we don't got that ammo <laughs> in ours let's say except out in north western north dakota we did run into one gas station that had it all it had your like your hardware store it had a convenience store a restaurant and pretty much everything you could think of going kind of going off that with the 28 gauge well we have shields here in in uh town i don't know if you're familiar with that yep yeah we have shields we have, I think every, well, I shoot a 12 gauge and I have a 12 gauge and a 20 gauge. Well, those are the two animals that you couldn't find at Shields. You could find 28 gauge and a 16 gauge. And the funny thing yep. was that they didn't have any 28 gauges even in the store. So I thought that was kind of ironic. They had the whole top shelf full of 28 gauge and 16 gauge and barely any 12 gauge steel. So yeah, it is the same way down here. And my, my back before getting the 28, my backup was a six is a sixteen gauge eight seven, so I've I've got a pretty good uh, inventory of sixteen gauge shells. But uh, yeah, I, I I think all those all three of those gauges, the twelve, sixteen, and twenty eight, at least for me, it's gonna it's gonna give me a, a wide uh, range of shotguns to use, you know, for or for a variety of birds. So Edgar, I want to thank you for coming on. 
and it was really great talking with you and everything. So where can people find you on Instagram or really anywhere? Well, uh, people can find me uh, on Instagram at huntbirds, hunt underscore birds, B-I-R-D-Z. I've also got a Facebook page under the same name. Um, And um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, if they're interested in, in seeing what I'm about or reading any of my material, if you Google my, my first and last name and then Upland Hunting behind it, um, you'll get a slew of content that I've written or podcasts that I've been on. I say, can you, they find you on Project Upland? Like, do they have an author page or? Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. If you um, type in my name or just do a search, uh, you'll get um, all the articles that I've written for them. It's about four dozen, I think, uh, as well as some of the other magazines. But uh, yeah. So you do, you do have a link tree too on your Instagram account. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I just got that couple of weeks ago so yeah I, ha- I have that thanks for mentioning that but yeah if they go to my profile uh that'll uh i've got direct links to various outlets that i've written for uh as, as far as online or e-magazines feel uh, anyone that's interested or have a question for me feel free to reach out and uh, i i answer questions all the time whether people are wanting to come to kansas or or they've got excuse me questions on prairie chicken hunting or you know traveling anything i'll i will respond and try to help you out as best as i can everybody keeps talking about kansas we might have to make our way down there so yeah if you guys ever do i mean uh, just kind of think of this as an open invite just let me know and we'll we'll get something planned and uh we'll, we'll take care of everything and uh we'll, we'll get you on bird I, we may blindfold you guys where we go <laughs> but uh, uh but yeah, no, we'll, we'll, we'll get you on some birds out here. You can just throw us in the back of the trailer. There you go. <laughs> uh, same way you, if you ever, I don't know if you've been to North nope. Dakota or not, but the doors, the doors open if you, if you're up here. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Seriously guys, go check him out. Uh, he's got some really good articles and everything. So uh, go give him a follow on Instagram and read some of his stuff. And thank you again for coming on. It was great talking with you and everything. And I want to thank you guys for following along and, listen to our podcast and following us on Instagram just one more time. We'll see you on the next one.